Plant-Based Canada podcast. Join us as we talk to the experts to explore the field of nutritional sciences and how our food choices impact our health and the environment. We sit down with Canadian doctors, dietitians, athletes, climate experts, and others to break down the evidence behind the whole foods plant-based diet and discuss the practical steps we can take in the effort to shift towards a healthier lifestyle. My name is Stephanie Nishi, and today I am joined by Michelle Tree to talk about plant peer communities and what it means to be a pod leader. Michelle Tree is a pod leader and member of the Plant Peer Pod Advisory Committee. She started her group called Plant Based Living Winnipeg in 2016 after watching the food documentary Plant Peer Nation. With her background as an event manager, Michelle organized potlucks and get-togethers designed to create friendships and help people thrive on whole foods. The group has grown to over 1,500 members and continues to encourage people to make the switch to a plant-based lifestyle. In 2021, Michelle jumped at the chance to join the Plant Pure Pod Advisory Committee, taking on a more impactful role within the pod network by collaborating with pod leaders around the world. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining the Plant-Based Canada podcast today. Thank you for having me, Stephanie. It's our pleasure. Now, to start things off, what was your original introduction to plant-based practices and what led to the inspiration to start the group Plant-Based Living Winnipeg back in 2016? Okay, so my road to plant-based, it took a little longer than most people, I would say. I was a fundraiser and an event manager for a large scale uh, event to raise money for a cancer hospital. And in doing that, um, this was back in 2007, 2008. And of course, every day I was talking to people who either had cancer or had lost someone that they loved. And um, just knowing it was all ages, you know, male, female, young, old, And it it started to dawn on me that the rates of cancer were just rising and rising. And it was something I talked about every day because, of course, in fundraising for cancer, you are talking to people about how cancer rates are going up in order to get them to donate money to the hospital for research. Um, My question was, why? How are these people getting cancer? What is causing all of this? And at the hospital itself, I wasn't getting direct answers. I was getting a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things that can cause cancer, just very general terms. And I thought, that can't be it. So for myself, I started to look into anything that I could find. And the first article that I found related to food was the direct correlation between uh, bowel cancer, stomach cancer, colon cancer, and smoked and processed meats. I read that, and it was a definite link. I decided that, you know, luncheon meats, bacon, hot dogs were not that important to me. I went home and spoke to my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, and asked him if he would be willing to give up these kinds of food items. And he, to my surprise, he had no no problem with it. He actually said, I'm surprised that, you know, I eat these things anyways, knowing what you know. Knowing what we know about hot dogs, it's amazing how many people still eat them, Right. So that was just like the first thing we did. So that was 2008. And that just opened a door. And I started finding more information as I went along. 
And we just gradually shifted our diet as we learned new information and decided to make changes. So it was the processed meats, then it was red meat, then we gave up chicken, then we gave up fish. And we we stayed vegetarians for m- several years, actually. Not in our own home. We weren't bringing cheese and dairy products into our house, but we were eating them with friends as a social measure. It was really just in order, you know, nobody that we knew was talking about these kinds of things. Nobody was interested in these kinds of things. And it it helped us to stay um, more normal with our friends and to not upset people. And um, so we ate vegetarian, you know, it was easier to eat a cheese pizza when you're with your friends and nachos and things like that. But it was actually the movie Plant Pure Nation in 2016 that opened my eyes to whole food plant-based. So at that point, we had given up dairy around that same time. We had I had seen some videos of the way that the cows retreated. And, you know, that all started coming to it as well. Like, it, you know, we started down this road for health, but the animal treatment and the factory farms, that information did come into my view and we would make changes. We gave up eggs because of uh, some films I had seen. And then when we gave up dairy and we became vegan, I started actually eating some of the vegan products that were out there, the processed, you know, chicken nuggets and things like that. And I started not feeling well myself. I wasn't feeling great. And at the same time, my mother moved in with us. She had broken her hip and was having some health challenges. She came to live with us and she was not vegan or vegetarian. And then that food again was brought into our home, which my husband didn't like. But I, I was looking for a way that how can we all coexist together? How can I have better health? How can my mom have better health? And then Plant Pure Nation was like, it was the solution. I saw it and I saw Forks Over Knives the same day. And hearing the story of Dr. Campbell and Dr. Esselstyn their research and their work and their dedication to truth and justice, it just lit this fire underneath me and I saw it all. It wasn't just about health, even though health was the main driver for us. It was about health. It was about the environment. It was about the animals. It was about what was right. And I just, that was it. So I decided that we would switch to a whole food plant-based lifestyle overnight I went to my library, I took out every cookbook I could on whole food plant-based eating and just started learning how to cook because I wasn't much of a cook in the past. It took about a year. I transitioned right away. My mom was a little slower to transition and accept it, but we all got there through the course of the year and our health started to improve. So that was my that was my introduction. And then it was just a f- introduction and full-scale development of how we would eat this way. So you went from this introduction yourself and you and your husband um, went through this process together, but now you're a leader of a pretty large community. How did that all come about? And you mentioned Plant Pure Nation and there's the Plant Pure Communities, as well as the specific community that you yourself lead, the Plant-Based Living Winnipeg. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that came to be? Okay, so that was it was really all at the same time. I watched the movie Plant Pure Nation and for anyone who's seen it, and if you haven't, please go to YouTube and watch it. It's free. You can look it up and watch it. But right at the end of the movie, which I was just, you know, I'm I'm in tears at the end of the movie, and they're talking about if you would like to 
start or join a community, there are these plant peer communities called pods. And I, I looked at that and right at the same time, what was also going on in our lives, especially with myself, my husband wasn't as much concerned with this part, but not eating the same way as your friends. And then of course, also learning the self-information when people are not interested in it, that you know, and you're really excited to talk about it, it's, it is very difficult. And I wasn't feeling the connection to my friends in the same way I had in the past. Food is something that when we sit down at a table and we share a meal together, we, we bond and we, we enjoy this meal together and it, and it brings on this feeling of togetherness and community. And I was losing that with my very close friends. And, you know, in particular, I had best friends who owned a steak restaurant. They didn't want to hear any of this information. And so it, it, it was making, I was feeling very incomplete. I was feeling lonely. I needed relationships. I needed to talk to someone about this besides my husband and when I saw that, that that call out at the end of the movie, I went to my husband and said, "Do you, what do you think? Like, there was no community here in Winnipeg. Should I start one? And he, he said, absolutely, this is what you need to do. Um, so that I phoned up Plant Peer Communities and got on board and started my community. And it was, wasn't right away. I mean, I started a Facebook group, but it wasn't until I went to an actual market and then set up a table. I put all my cookbooks on the table. I had nothing for sale. I just had a sign and all the all the books I had to read. And I just stood there and waited for people to come and talk to me. And my, to my surprise, it was a vegan market. You know, a lot of people would walk by with, you know, not would, you know, what is going on here? You have nothing for sale. But the people who had seen Forks Over Knives or Plant Pure Nation or anything like that, they just beeline for my table. And then I had these incredible conversations with people for hours on end about food and, you know, the way that you get excited about this, you know, anyone who's who's following this kind of lifestyle, you get this excitement that you want to talk about it. And you need people to understand. And even amongst the vegan community, they're not familiar with the work of Dr. Campbell, Dr. Esselstyn, and all the whole food plant based doctors, and they're not maybe interested in the health aspect at all, they may be just doing it for the animals or the environment, which is great. But there, you know, there is some something that we're missing if we don't actually take care of ourselves. And when people would come over to me and we'd have these conversations, I left that market that day so excited. I had 50 new members to my community. I was, I, you know, met people who understood me, people who were also looking to connect with people like me. And it just started to grow from there. It's so wonderful to hear how having conversations can build up these feelings of support and of working together, or at least just having other people to talk about the evidence or to not feel so lonely. And you mentioned that you called the so-called hotline to start this pod. And what are some of your aims when you called them aside from building community? And what does it mean to be a pod leader? So I have to admit that really my single focus at that time was just to make new friends. <laughs> I, I really, I felt it was very, you know, it was almost selfish in a way. I was just like, I just need new friends. And how do you, I was in my forties and I was like, how do I make new friends when you're not at school or you, you know, I'm not meeting new people at work or whatever that was. Um, so that was, that was really what I was looking for. But what I found as soon as I started bringing the people together was that there also is a need amongst 
every, almost everyone else who embarks upon this, that they're in the same boat. They need support. They need support to be able to continue to eat this way because your, their friends and family are against it and trying to talk them out of it and trying to convince them to eat other foods. They need the support because they don't know now how to eat. Um, you know, adjusting when you've eaten a certain way and, you know, the, the dishes that you made, well, now what do we eat now? How do we adjust? With me, I had, because we had gradually reduced things in our diet, it was a little easier for me to accept new ways of eating. I just did it, you know, in that process. But um, when people decide to do this overnight and they clean out the fridge of meat and dairy, well, then they're like, well, that's what's left. They don't understand. And they haven't been, they're not using vegetables in the way that they should be or would be using vegetables. And so, having potlucks and bringing people together so that they can try new foods and eat new foods. And it's also the community, the thing about plant peer communities is that it's so inclusive. You know, it's not just for vegans. It's for people who are just interested in this lifestyle because some people will never make a decision to say, okay, I'm going to go vegan now. But you know what, they'll have a meat free meal or they'll try a whole food plant based dish and over time, as they start to do that more and more, and they start to feel better and better, then they might look at the rest of their life, you know, like many people in our group, and like us, we we became vegan after some time of eating this way. So I think the community, the best thing about plant pure communities is that it's for everyone. And it's not, uh, it's not this club that you already have to be in before you can what you can be accepted. We accept everyone who comes in as long as you're willing to learn. And I see my role as a leader is that I'm a guide for that community. You know, there's there's so many whole food plant-based doctors. You've had, you've had whole food plant-based doctors on your podcast, wonderful, amazing people who are out there. And even though I'm, you know, I read all the books, I watch all the videos, I listen to all the podcasts, not everyone does. And they're not as familiar with the research and they're maybe not as interested in that. So I'm a guide for those people to say, um, you know, what is that? What is it that's drawing you here? What is it that you're interested? And then keeping them on a more singular path so that it's not overwhelming and that they that they will continue to grow and and move towards the whole food plant based lifestyle and to not be overwhelmed with, okay, now you've got to change your whole life. So I feel that plant pure communities because the way that they are about more than just the food, you know, they, that attracts a lot of people to the community. And then it's, uh, and then it's just inclusive um, for everyone. It sounds like, well, you started out to build friendships. It also sounds like what you're building with this community is a way to make plant-based practices more relatable, even for those that may not necessarily have been initially introduced or potentially like your friends, it wasn't part of their everyday life, but trying out a plant-based meal may make it, oh, this is what it's like. It's not so scary, so to say. Could you tell us a little bit more? So you started out with this booth and your books and this goal of making friends and not selling anything, just there to have conversations with people. And now to my understanding, your community is around 1,500 people. How did that come about? And you mentioned some events like a potluck, I believe, or potlucks that you do. Can you tell us about some of those events that you and your community do and how these arise? 
Well, potlucks were the main event of my group. I think that, like I, like I said, sitting down and eating with people, being able to go to a dinner where there's not, no restrictions for you as a whole food plant-based eater, that is a privilege. And our first event, in fact, was a potluck that we, you know, we were a Facebook community. I met people at, my, at the market table, like I told you about. But then people started asking, when are we going to get together? When are we going to have a potluck? And so the first event I planned was a potluck. Uh, we had 25 people attend it. And we set up, you know, three different tables for food. And, you know, it was amazing. People came to this community club. We put the food all out. And the conversations just seemed to start flowing. People really getting into talking to each other. When, when we were finished eating, which every, because everyone is so excited about the food, right? Like, I mean, when you, when that first came about, when, even for ourselves, we were like, we can eat anything here. We don't have to ask what's in it. Everybody had their list of ingredients in case anyone had any allergies or they were gluten-free or whatever. But for the most part, you know, you could just have everything and you filled your plate and you were really happy. People, food makes people happy when they feel satisfied and the, and the food is delicious. And there was just this overwhelming sense of, you know, fun and community and a, and just a lightness that came about through that potluck. And right at the end of the dinner, I got up to, say, you know, I thought, well, I better get up and say something, right? So I got up and thanked everyone for coming. And I thought, you know, we should go around the room and just quickly introduce ourselves. And that's sort of was what I exactly had said, you know, just quickly your name and why you're here or whatever. But the first person who got up, told, got up and told their story about how they had come into whole food plant-based. I think they had a health you know, reason that they came and that the whole food plant-based eating had turned their health around and given them, given them their life back. And, and then it just, it was like every person from there forward. So the, the conversation went on for a lot longer than I thought, but it was exactly what these people needed. They wanted to tell their story. They wanted to hear other people's stories. And in that way, it was this, it became a support group. It wasn't just a potluck, but it was like a support group meeting. And once everyone had told their story, and you know, some people cried hearing other people's stories, and we were connected. And then as people were leaving, they were exchanging phone numbers and, you know, wanting to be in more contact. So I saw that it, you know, just like myself, there was a need for everyone to find new contacts, new friends, another community, but that they needed this special kind of support that you wouldn't be able to get anywhere else. And so potlucks became the mainstay of my group. We got together, you know, once a month for a potluck. But we also, I found a restaurant in town that Plant Peer Communities has a restaurant program so that you can go to a restaurant and ask them to um, modify a dish to make it whole food plant-based and then they become certified. So I had a restaurant that was certified plant, plant pure. And then we had meet we had restaurant meetups there. They used to do it after hours. They would close the restaurant and I would we pile people in there. I mean probably can't never do it what you did before we were practically on each other's laps we stuffed so many people in there but again it was just these social events that that weren't those these things weren't available necessarily when you're when you eat whole food plant-based the other part of it is that you can't just go anywhere you can't just go to any restaurant and eat if especially if you're very strict not everyone who eats whole food plant-based is that strict that they may go off program and go to a restaurant but some people who are doing it to reverse a chronic condition they need to stay on track. And so having that option available to them. And then other kinds of meetups, you know, Dr. Michael Greger came to town. 
we got together and, you know, a whole big group of us, we, I made, I contacted the organizers and they let me sell a whole bunch of tickets to my group. It was actually meant to be a private event, but they opened it up just to my group and, you know, and it was another meetup. So it was like any, anywhere I can look to, to bring people together. Uh, that's what I did. It sounds like your background in event planning would be very useful and helpful in this situation because it sounds like you're really good at seeing what possibilities are there and how to bring people together. Yeah, that was that was something that it just did come naturally to me. And I was glad that I had that skill set, even in using my photography and being able to make some videos of our potlucks, then people would share them with their friends and that would help to grow the community any way I could use my skills. After a little while with the group, I saw that it was my, I, I saw that I needed to be in service to this. So I just gave myself over in service to plant pure communities because I believe in the mission and the vision of Nelson Cantbell and the work of Colin Cantbell. And this is my way of continuing the very important work that Colin Cantbell has put out there. And I think as leaders, we that's what we do. We the, I think that the plant peer communities attracts a certain type of person, even though we all have different skill sets and everyone does it in a different way. Just giving yourself over in service to it and realizing that you're you're not just serving the community that's right in front of you, but you're growing this movement. You're part of a grassroots movement that's growing all over the world. And being part of plant peer communities actually gave me some structure and made me feel like I was part of something that was bigger than just what I was doing here in Winnipeg. That was important to me too. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the plant peer communities and this global movement. And you mentioned that you're part of a quote unquote pod and that there's um, I believe this pod network that enables people and organizations to come together around the unifying idea of plant-based nutrition. Can you speak a little bit more about the pod network in general? And are there, if somebody doesn't necessarily live in Winnipeg, can they still participate? Absolutely. This is an international organization and there are pods all over the world. I believe there is probably close to 500 pods um, and they count at as many as 250,000 people as being involved with plant peer communities. I always at my potlucks would speak about plant peer communities. And I, I think some of my members were getting it, but not everyone understood that we were part of this international organization. Unless they had seen the movie and really listened to me speak about it, they didn't, they just thought it was this local thing. But it started to change a little for my group in the last couple of years because the, it, you know, just two years ago now, after COVID had began, um, you know, we weren't meeting. We, you know, I hadn't progressed to doing Zoom meetings and um, meeting online. When the potlucks went away and the community went away, you know, we have Facebook, we have social media to still connect. And a lot of us were friends now, you know, real well and truly friends. So we did see each other. But it was, you know, that that aspect was missing for the community. But one thing that came about was Plant Peer Communities started a pod advisory committee and they reached out to 10 plant peer leaders across the world, you know, and there's, you know, there's many leaders, of course, in America, but, you know, one of the leaders on the pack was in Trinidad, Tobago, and, you know, there is another one in Scotland. And so there are leaders all over the world that have communities just like this. And that was another level for me of community was when it, I met these other leaders who are incredibly accomplished and, you know, really driven, mostly women. 
I really connected to them. At first, I was very intimidated because some of these people have advanced degrees. There's doctors and nurses and things that are and and. But we all have our own skills. We all have our own uh, strengths, and we started to get together in this in this committee to find ways that we can also reach out to leaders across the world and support them and get either reignite them if they had, you know, especially during the pandemic when they had stopped meeting and stopped having their events, some people, you know, kind of fell off track. And so the pack brought those people back by supporting them, by finding ways that they can, um, we could even piggyback. What I started doing was, uh, I was on a committee with a, a lady named Sally Lipsky, who I just love. She's in Pittsburgh. And she did a lot of online events for her for her group. And because I wasn't doing them, I just started posting them in my group. You know, this is, and I called Sally my sister city. And I said, you know, my sister, our sister city in Pittsburgh has having all these events. And then my members could attend her events because it was online. And, and then, you know, Maya Costa in Texas, who leads a pod, is married to a cardiologist, and they do incredible work together. She has an amazing podcast called the Healthy Lifestyle Podcast. And I started promoting that to my group. And that was another way for people to connect and learn information. And we got to share our resources with each other. Because of course, we're everybody's online now. And so that opened up the world to me. It wasn't just what was going on in my city. It's what's going on everywhere. And that is really the vision of Plant Peer Communities is to, is to network all of us together. And then, and then we work together and we just further that mission. It's pretty amazing how even though people could be halfway across the world, we can still connect and not only uh, through technology, but through similar perspectives or views or practices as well. And you mentioned that this pod advisory committee is composed of 10 individuals from all around the world. From speaking with them, have there been uh, similar potential challenges or even similar inspirations that people have shared? Or have there been differences based on the different country that people come from? Yes, exactly. There, There is differences. And like I said, to be a pod leader, you do not have to follow a certain template for, you know, you don't have to run a pod left once a month like I did. That was, that was, you know, food was where, that was my language, you know, that was really what it got me excited. But not everyone has, has those kinds of ideas or skills or desires. And, uh, you know, one thing Maya Costa was doing was she had a program, she linked up with another organization called Walk with a Doc which I'm looking into now because I think it was such a terrific idea. Um, her husband being a cardiologist, they would they would get their group together and they would go for these walks. And then people were able to connect with him and ask him ideas and then talk to her and get health information and, and network with each other. That's extremely good resource. And it's also, you know, it's something that my group has done too. We've gotten together for walks. So incorporating a doctor into that mix would be, amazing and I'm on the lookout for one right now a whole food plant based doctor that will join us but you know that is another that is another way of of doing things and like I said Sally Lipsky she does uh cooking demonstrations and um educational nights and she does tons of things online and that that you know is accessible to everyone she does all these free things in New York Leanna Reisner she got four other pods together and they they became a network of pods so they were the plant 
powered Metro New York group. And, you know, they, they have reach, I believe that she even did some advising for the mayor of New York recently, and, you know, incorporating plant based options into schools or just into a, into their city. Uh, so, you know, pod leaders can do a variety of things. And, you know, some people just getting out there and telling their stories. Some pod leaders write articles and send them to their local newspapers is something that we're encouraged to do. And plant peer communities will always share everything that we're doing. If every time when I have potlucks, we just had a an event last week where we got together with a guy who showed us how to grow mushrooms in our home. So, you know, we got we everybody got together, we got together in a park and he we built these buckets with spores and sawdust and and now in a couple of weeks, we're going to have our mushrooms at home. And then everyone will post pictures of the mushrooms that they grew. And then they will, you know, share what recipes that they're going to make. Another thing that Plat Pure does is that they are incorporated um, square foot gardening. So that's another organization. And they oftentimes run square foot gardening programs. I, I started a square foot garden this year. I've been gardening for a few years now, but I did a particular square foot garden. And that's another way that that pods and people can share and um, you know, be together and learn together is in, through growing vegetables, because that's also um, part of this lifestyle. So there's, there's, there's no limit to the things that people can do. And it's just a matter of using your skills, your ideas and your imagination to come up with something to bring people together. Yeah, it sounds like there's a multitude of different ways that people can become engaged with others or become a part of it. And it's potentially, like you said, building on the skills that you do have and then learning from others their own skills and potentially getting involved with that or incorporating those into your day-to-day life. And you mentioned edible gardening, and I saw on your Instagram that this is something that you've been involved with. And one of the quotes that I saw was that if you're at all passionate about health, it's likely you will eventually reach the conclusion that you need to grow your own food. So how did you come about to this conclusion and how did you get into gardening in the first place? Yeah, well, that that was it. it. Accessibility of having good quality vegetables, you know, it became difficult to, I, I probably, I have a, a few grocery stores that I, you know, when I go grocery shopping, I have to go to several different places in order to get different things in different places. And the produce is good here for that. I can get good kale in one place and I can get, you know, grapefruit at this place. And my husband also um, is interested in food security and, you know, with the way that the world is and not knowing, especially with the challenges that we've had in Canada with the transportation of our foods, getting to the grocery store at, at times, it really makes you aware of that you're at the mercy of, you know, what's going on, the systems that are in place and that they're not really meant for, um, they're not built around the accessibility to health and that there's more and more a push to processed foods, especially now that these new vegan products have come in, which are great for getting people off meat, but it's not what we want to eat. It's not what we want to sustain ourselves on. And when I started growing food um, at my house, the benefits were very clear very quickly in that the food tasted better. I knew it was cleaner. I didn't have to worry about pesticides or, you know, buying organic, I could grow organic. Being able to pick food and then put it into your dish right away, I knew that the nutritional benefits would be substantially higher than food that has been trucked here from Mexico or California um, and maybe picked too early. Like, you know, we don't really know the nutritional content of our food, you don't know um, how much, you know, how many vitamins and nutrients are in your particular apple 
as compared to an apple that was grown or purchased somewhere else. And that became important to me. And, it, you know, it's a definite learning curve. I'm not any anywhere near an expert in gardening, but my gardening garden has grown. It's actually taken over my complete front lawn, which, you know, my husband was very nervous about at first. He thought the neighbors would complain, but now we get so much good feedback from people in our neighborhood. Everyone stops to talk to us about our garden that we really very, we have very little lawn left. We just complete, we expand it every single year. Um, and now we're looking to move and get acreage because we want a greenhouse and we, you know, we want more, you know, it's, it is almost addicting. We want to learn how to can and, and preserve foods. We want to have a, a root cellar storage. You know, we just, we want more because there's nothing as it, there's, to me, there's nothing as pleasurable as eating the food that you've grown yourself. That, that is a, a very big pleasure in my life. And so learning, I just learned, you know, by getting, again, another community, getting involved in uh, Facebook communities, people who are gardening, gardening vegetables, but also now the square foot gardening. And there's other leaders who've been certified in square foot gardening. And that information has been very helpful. And square foot gardening, of course, is valuable because it uses less water, less space, less resources. So it's something that people should know about. How can people find out more about square foot gardening? Well, there's, there is a square foot gardening website and they do, do, do courses. So you can just do a course in square foot gardening and plant peer communities is linked to square foot gardening that they promote these courses. I believe we even have a course for plant peer communities, whether it's free or not, I can't say. And then there is a certification that you can take to become a certified square foot gardening. And some of our leaders have done that. I met a, a leader named Stephanie. Um, she came to one of my book clubs in the past year and she just went with gusto and we um, plant peer communities actually gave out some grants last year to leaders to start square foot gardens in their community. And she jumped on that and she became certified and um, is now growing her community that way. And it's one of the ways that she connects with people. So that's, you know, it's the resources are there. There's lots of stuff on YouTube about square foot gardening and lots of uh, groups that are dedicated to helping each other learn. Thanks for sharing that. And it's great to hear that there's so many opportunities. I'm just going to circle back. You mentioned that your husband is really interested in food security. Can you tell us a little bit more about what food security means and how that relates? Well, like I think that anyone now, I think that the last two years have opened everyone's eyes to um, we cannot just rely that the things that are in our grocery store will be there all the time and available to us when we there was times when we couldn't go to certain stores and then there and then there was problems in transport transportation of of our goods and then you'd go to the store and suddenly there was you know a whole section is gone and 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 this is unfortunately something that we're going to face more and more um, in the last couple of years we we've all heard about the decline of bees and how that affects our food production and our crops. There's the climate crisis is is really bringing home. We can't we can't rely on food crops to be there. Uh, there may there's widespread floods and fires that can wipe out you know our food supply. And unfortunately, because of the way that our mass grocery stores are and their food chain works, that we're not as connected locally as we should be. Um, and that's something that we need to bring back. And that's something that I would like to bring back is local production of of our vegetables and our fruits to some degree uh, here in 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 Winnipeg and the surrounding towns that we 
don't have to worry about what's going on in Mexico to know what's happening with our food supply. Um, so my husband, you know, he's always been interested in, you know, there's like people who do prepping and survival and things like that. That was always something he was interested in. And, um, and he was very excited when I started to be interested in that as well at, you know, in the way that, yeah, I want to make sure that my food is available to me and having food security, being able to grow your own food is, and especially when you can start preserving and canning your own food and you have a certain supply that you're, you're not, you know, most of us, we have enough food to last us days, maybe a week. And then, and then what? You know, and if there's if there's some kind of a crisis, if there's some sort of um, a weather event that happens, and we are cut off from uh, our our food source, then what? You know, how are we going to survive? Like, you know, one thing about being whole food plant based, it's great that we keep stores of of rice and beans and all those kinds of things, and I feel like that's food security as well. And you know, but we we want nutrition, we want we want the best nutrition available to ourselves and and having a garden on your own property is is definitely something i mean here in winnipeg unfortunately i'm not gardening year round obviously i try to garden as much as i can into the winter months and i have um some cold frames to keep my greens going but um yeah that's you know it's something that does occur to me and our grandparents knew how to do this you know i wish my grandmother was still around because i remember that she did all of those things. And I wasn't interested, of course, at that time, right? And I now I want to know. And so if anyone's still got grandparents and people in your lives that do preserving and canning and have root cellars, find out about it, because this is something we all need to get back to. Uh, you know, it's something that they did, they did for their food security. And so we, we should just um, go back to those practices that were already there. And I can imagine that our grandparents or individuals who do these practices, they probably want to be able to share. At least it opens up a conversation with them as well, whether it's a neighbor, grandparent, or someone else who's a, you're related to or associated with. Absolutely. They would, they would love to become involved. And it's a way to um, keep those relationships going. And, you know, that's something that I'm interested in as well is like that seniors get left, that they're they're oftentimes lonely. And if we can connect with seniors in growing gardens, and bringing, asking them questions and having them tell us about these things, I'm sure that that would help to and and providing for them. Uh, one of our members, he is just retiring now, but he worked at a at a home. And he said, you know, the the availability of even having a salad is not there for those people every single day, they have to request it. And it's only three days a week. And it's not really, you know, not like salads, like we, you know, like real dark green leafy vegetables, you know, it's just iceberg lettuce and a, a little bit of shred of carrot or something. So that's something that concerns me as well is that when people get older, and they are in homes that their nutrition, the nutrition that is being served to them is not what it should be. You know, and this impacts our health system, of course, like, you know, these people could be in such better health if they were being fed better, and they would be happier individuals as well. And so, you know, I think every senior home should have its own garden, just, you know, for the for the health aspect of the food, but also for seniors to get out there into the garden and have that, the peace that comes with gardening. There's, for me, gardening brought so much more than just the food. To me, it's like, it, I feel so good when I'm in my garden, I, when I'm putting my hands in the soil, when I'm watching my plants, I talk to my plants. Um, I, I feel I feel happier in my garden. And so for people's mental health, that garden can also be an aspect of it. That's one thing that I love about 
whole food plant-based and especially uh, you know the doctors this isn't just about food the lifestyle medicine is everything recently with the pack we did a pod leaders uh we do a pod leaders book club and i lead that and we did lifestyle medicine uh by dr sray stansick and you know talking about all aspects of health you know getting good sleep being um you know exercising and all of when you eat well you'll feel like exercising you'll feel like moving when you grow your own food you'll feel happier you'll sleep better when you eat well like nothing is not connected we are everything is connected and um i think that that's that's one of the greatest things about plant peer communities is the conversation is limitless we can talk about all of these things it sounds like you're really touching on not only the physical health but the mental health and spiritual health as well by bringing these opportunities or making them available because it's not just the food, but the food is what we tangibly see, essentially. Absolutely. And I think too, with myself, and this is something that came up for me just in the last couple of years, is that when when COVID hit, my eating personally did go off. Um, you know, I was upset, obviously, of what was going on. I felt I know my first shopping trip when when the panic started, I bought a bunch of processed food because I was like, I was worried I wanted to soothe myself with the junk. And I brought food into my house that I had never brought into my house in the last five or six years. And my diet kind of took a turn. And at one point um, in the last year, I realized you know, I'm, I've gained some weight, I've been I've been binging, and it was something that I had some food addiction problems that I had felt that re- were resolved when I went whole food plant based, I actually felt that I that was those things weren't an issue for me. But when I was stressed, and pressed, I started to binge eat, and I brought those foods back in my life. And then I didn't feel good. And then I didn't feel like a leader. And I didn't want people to see me, but it was fine, because I nobody could see me, I was stuck in my house. But then, you know, I reached out to my group and I actually decided to do a book club for the pleasure trap. And there were other people in my group who were going through the same thing. And, you know, I felt at first I was scared to do that because I thought as a leader, you know, I should be set an example and I was embarrassed of myself, but um, just being honest and, and putting yourself out there is, I don't know. It, there's just something about that, that, you know, the honesty and then people being able to open up about their problems with addiction. So we had a, we had a really tight group for that book club. We did about, I think we did three different um, meetups to get through that book and they were personal and they were helpful and supportive. We did it around the holidays to support ourselves so that we wouldn't binge eat and, and go off track with holiday foods. Um, and it was really helpful to build that into the community as well. So that's, another thing that I am encouraging people to do. And it's a conversation I've been having with some of the other members of PAC. Maya and I just had a conversation about a week ago. And I had told her that the struggles I was going through, and how I was getting myself back on track. And it was a you know, it was revisiting and re and actually realizing, okay, I wasn't, I wasn't done with my addiction problems, I had, I thought I had solved this, but it really was just you know, it was being suppressed. And then when my emotions took over, then the addictions came back up. And so then I needed to learn about addiction. And that and that's, oh, that's, re- that's a real thing. People aren't, people aren't not eating healthy, because they just don't want to, in a lot of ways that we're just very addicted to the foods that we've been conditioned to eat. And 
thought to think that this is normal. And it's not so easy to just give those foods up and just change as people would want you to. And so some things have to be addressed as well. Sometimes it's emotional issues that need to be addressed. And there's again, reason for reason for support. I feel like what you just said, at least for me personally, those are signs of a leader being able to have those honest conversations, be able to relate to others that you're speaking with. Um, but also being able to acknowledge that, okay, there are things that we're always going to be working through and learning from. And how do I best go about that? It sounded like you did take the initiative to go and learn about it and try to talk about it with other individuals. Now, I'm so curious about, um, you mentioned that when you first when the lockdowns first happened, you went to get food at the grocery stores and it was comfort that you were looking for. And that was something that you related to these types of foods. Do you think that this is something that others may also have felt or from your experiences talking with others? It sounds like we relate food not only to nourish ourselves, but for emotional reasons too. And how do you adjust that? You mentioned getting to the root cause, but what were some of the things that you found or in your conversations with others? Yeah, that to me, that is, you know, when I first went whole food plant-based, that was one of the things that I, I really led with, with people. I found comfort food recipes, whole food plant versions of comfort food recipes. So I learned how to make mac and cheese with, you know, sweet potatoes. And I learned how to make chocolate cake with sweet potatoes. And I would always lead with those recipes, partly because it was, um, those were the kind of recipes when people tasted them. Of course, when you're eating a certain way, whole food plant-based eating doesn't taste as good to some people, if, depending on how high their sodium and sugar that they're consuming. It may take some time to adjust that they actually find those foods that taste good. So I would always lead with those recipes. Here's Michelle's top five comfort food recipes. So I would always you know, make those things for potlucks. I'd make chocolate cakes all the time and make sure that, you know, everyone was getting those things. And, you know, there's a scale with whole food plant-based eating. There's people who are eating very strictly SOS free. And then there's people who are, you know, maple syrup and brown sugar and, you know, nuts and all those kinds of things. So you can, you can have comfort in whole food plant-based eating, but when you are pressed, when you are squeezed, you know, it is easy to just go like, and especially if people haven't fully transitioned to leaving out the animal products, they may go back to animal products, they may decide to eat pizza, they may decide to have fried chicken, who knows, whatever their comfort food is. And and those foods, they're so addicting. They're, they're made to be addictive. You know, they're, they, they're scientists that they they're whole job is to make sure that you want to eat those foods again and again, and you eat more of them than you need to to be satiated. And like I said, when I went to the store, the first grocery shop, like, I don't know if anyone had this experience, but like I, you know, hit Costco, along with, you know, hundreds, thousands of other panicked buyers. And it was almost the panic of like, everyone grabbing at everything that made me start grabbing for things that I don't normally get. Also, because I didn't know when the next time I was going to be able to go shopping, I didn't know what was going on. There, there was comfort in that food. Um, some security, I felt that it's not, it's, it's a false sense of security. It's a false sense of comfort. Because of course, that com- those comfort foods don't make you feel worse later. And you need to recognize um, what are you feeling when you reach for that food, because Some, sometimes you're not even hungry at all, but you have a thought that comes into your mind. 
And it's a reoccurring thought that, you know, you don't even realize how many times a day you might be thinking the same things. And whether it's pressure from your job or your family or money worries or, you know, there's so many things, especially right now. I mean, the world, the society, I get very caught up in Twitter and political things and all the all the tragedies are happening all over the world. My husband is always like, what do you want me to do about it? Because I'm I'm worried about everything everywhere. But um, and that's part of it, too. I actually deleted all my social media for a time just to, you know, just got it off my phone. I, I gave my phone to my husband one time for like 10 days just to like, I didn't want to touch it, you know, and that helped. That helped a lot. Um, so what, you know, finding what are your triggers, you know, and you know, and anyone who's read The Pleasure Trap, there's there's a lot involved in that. Like if if you're not getting good sleep, if you have only gotten four or five hours of sleep last night, you are more likely to overeat the next day. So, you know, people don't realize that when they're going, that they want to be on a diet or they want to lose weight or they want to eat better, that that probably starts with going to bed at like nine or 10 o'clock at night um, and getting, you know, getting our circadian rhythms proper and having, you know, proper REM sleep, that those things and, and moving and moving your body and exercising. Not everybody wants to go to the gym and lift weights, but even just going for a walk and breathing air and breathing exercises can help. And so it's not just, I think people, they just think it's just about food and it's never just about food. It's about everything else in your life and it all matters. And when you can start to recognize those things, then it becomes easier. Take your, take your focus off food and stop beating yourself up over it. I think that you're making it worse by feeling so badly about yourself and the way that we speak to ourselves internally for having these addictions. And it's really not our fault because these, like I said, these companies, they're on the marketing end. You can't watch television without seeing, you know, multiple ads for burgers and junk food. And it it's that repetition and they know it, that you're seeing these, you know, you can't drive down the street without passing fast food outlets that are screaming for you to come on in. Um, so it's, you know, take the pressure off yourself and realize that it's not your fault and find other people to support you in that. But, you know, just recognize what you're thinking about when you do reach for that food, write it down. Maybe you can't stop yourself in the moment from reaching for that food because you're already in it. Sometimes it's not, that's not the time. Go ahead and have whatever you're having, but be, be conscious of what it was that triggered that. And that may help you the next time. Sounds like that's going back to what you were talking about before, about what is the root cause that is guiding or driving your actions at that time. Where we've talked about what plant peer communities and your pod and other pods have done to date. Where do you see the future of plant peer communities? What's ahead, whether that's just in the next couple of months or a couple of years? What are some of your goals or the community's goals if you're able to share those? Right now, our our pack is, uh, you know, we're halfway through another uh, year of being on the pack. There was about four members who stayed from last year, and then we had some new members come in. Um, and we're working on a summit currently. It's actually uh, the event. We have subcommittees. And one of the subcommittees is an event committee. And they are planning a summit for pod leaders. And the purpose of the summit is to get pod leaders online, uh, teach them things. So we're all using our skill sets. So I'm, for example, I'm going to talk about building a community on Facebook because that's something I've been able to do well. Um, how to use social media. Maya is going to talk about how to get yourself online. She might be giving some information about how to start a podcast if that's what people are into. 
is just to give those pod leaders uh, some skill sets, you know, to learn from each other. We've been learning from each other. I think the more that when pod leaders grow and they get connected into the network, it's the network, it's the network of leaders that is the real resource. We are the driver of plant peer communities. Those, these, you know, excited, um, motivated individuals who want to make a difference. They want to, they want to lead, they want to push, they want to make a difference in their community and they're all doing it in different ways. So like I said, we're, you know, learn from the other leaders who've already been down this road. If you want to learn how to do a potluck, Hey, I've got, I could write a book on potlucks because, you know, I have a whole setup. I have a potluck kit that I get, you know, like there, you know, and I can help make, I use Canva to make signs and marketing materials. We're, we want to share all of that. So what we're doing right now, Sally and I are actually working on a resource library for pod leaders so that when, you know, I make a poster for an event or we make a video that it can be used by other people. I When I started the Pod Leaders Book Club, it, the reason for the, starting the Pod Leaders Book Club was to, I start, I do the book club for the pod leaders and then they've done the book club with me. They can take my PowerPoint presentation and adapt it and then take it back to their own pod and then do the same book for their pod because they've just been through it. So once you've learned it, then you can teach it. So it's helping and each other to grow, putting those, getting the plant peer community leaders to not just be leaders in their community, but leaders amongst leaders. And I think that's how you grow. That's how you grow the network. And if people wanted to find out more about where they can connect and find out more about yourself, your work, and the plant peer communities, where can they go to do that? Well, I, I have a website for plant-based Winnipeg. So it's plant-based, and I use the short firm of Winnipeg. So it's plantbasedwpg.com. So you can find my website and you can send me an email from there or find me on, we have an Instagram account. We have a Facebook account. You can send me a message. You can join my group. You can find me personally on Facebook or Instagram and send me a message. I'm tree liberty on most things. So I, I'm always looking to connect with people and always looking to share resources. There's nothing that I won't share with people. It's, it's, I'm an open book. And I think that that's in the spirit of, of Nelson Campbell's vision for plant peer communities. He is, you know, it's it, like I said, it, plant peer communities is just not about food. It's about social justice. It's about, you know, changing our food systems. It's about, you know, helping the animals. And it's, and it's whatever way you want to do it is the way you can do it and grow. So um, yeah, definitely get in contact with me. What I would like to do right now is call out to people across Canada, because we do have pods across Canada, but not nearly as many as I think we should have. And I would really, this is actually something that I want to give a shout out to my friend who is a pod leader. Her name is Margaret Bennett Adler. She lives in Toronto. Margaret went plant-based uh, 12 years ago, almost 13 and she is now 95 years old. She just had her 95th birthday. And wow. she leads the group Whole Food Plant Based Toronto. Margaret and I have been in contact for a while. I just love her. I think she's so wonderful. But she is looking for someone else to possibly take over Plant Based Toronto. So if you're in Toronto and you're interested in growing a community, I would love to link you up with Margaret and get you to either assist her or just take over that, uh, what she has started. Uh, Margaret is also an avid gardener and has all sorts of information about gardening and is just an amazing person. But another thing that she started to do as a project was to get a list of all the plant pod leaders across Canada and just connect all of us in some way. So she's passed that on to me. Mm -hmm. And that's my, that's one of my new projects is to get a hold of all the leaders across Canada 
uh, encourage more people to become leaders in Canada and then possibly have a summit of just plant peer pod leaders that are just in Canada and to share resources as well. So that's uh, that's something I'd love to do. So if people are listening and they work, they're in Canada and they want to be a leader, uh, get a hold of me and I would love to bring you into our community in that way. Fantastic. And I'll share your contact information in the show notes for this episode. Wonderful. As we come to an end, what would you like your final take-home message for listeners to be? I would like the final take-home message for listeners to be, this is the time. If you've been thinking about making a change to your diet, if you've been thinking about maybe you've already made the change and you think that you want to do more and you see what's happening in the world and you want to do something and make a difference, I believe that leading one of these communities could be one of the most impactful things that any individual could possibly do because you can help to change the lives of people in your own community. You can actually help to change their health. You can inspire them to talk to their friends and reach out to their their community. You can there's nothing as impactful as making the change to as as an individual. What we can do for the climate, what we can do for animals, there's nothing more impactful than going to a plant-based diet. So I believe if you can grow a plant-based community in your own town, city, wherever you are, you can make a tremendous difference, not just for yourself, but for the world. And I think that that's needed now much more than ever. And the one thing that I will say about that is that it's, it's really important to stay positive with all the adversity and to not get caught up in how many things are going wrong, but to see how much the whole food plant-based community has grown and the impact that it's already had and to just concentrate on your efforts of being positive and seeing the positive and that and seeing the growth and change that's already occurred and then just build on that. Michelle, thank you so much for taking the time to join the Plant-Based Canada podcast. We really appreciate you speaking with us today and all the best with all your future endeavors. Thank you for having me on. It was a real pleasure and a very much an honor for me. This episode was hosted by myself, Stephanie Nishi, and Clint Stamatovich is our audio engineer. This podcast featured royalty-free music from freesound.com. A very special thanks to our guest, Michelle Tree, for speaking with us and sharing her experience and insights. And of course, thank you for listening. The Plant-Based Canada podcast is an initiative of the group Plant-Based Canada, which aims to educate health professionals and the public on the evidence behind plant-based whole food nutrition for individual and planetary health. To learn more about the show, visit our website at www.plantbasedcanada.org and stay up to date by following us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at plantbasedcanada.org. Until next time.